0: Combo Nation, what is up? We are here. Happy Thursday. Pacer-centric episode for you on this Thursday. Can't wait for you to hear it. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace joins in to talk. Is Halliburton playing at an MVP level? Rick Carlisle embracing the modern style of basketball? Ben Matherin's development and more. And today's show is brought to you by... Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy. If you have the skills, you could turn $10 into $250 with just a few easy taps. Go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. That's right, go to Prize Picks and use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $1 hundred dollars i'll leave a link in the show notes for that also if you would like to support the movement combo nation i left the combos court venmo in the show notes hit combos court on venmo i'll shout you out on the next pod intro music by luca beats let's get into it God, don't do it to Alex Golden, we almost replaced him because he was. No, nah, I won't even put his business out here. How are you doing, Alex? What's up, man? How you I was feeling? five minutes late, man. <laughs>
1: Give me some slack.
0: What is this combo? I mean, my goodness. Couldn't <laughs> call you. That's a New York thing. We don't we don't we don't tell our people. You know what I mean? <laughs> we never we can't we can't let the uh cat out the bag, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> no, I I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm an Indiana guy. I don't know if it really matters or not. If you, you, you share dirty laundry or not, but I do sometimes. Depends on how good it is. <laughs> Speaking of Indiana, um, what would you recommend the NBA world to do when
0: they arrive in Indiana for All Star Weekend?
1: Oh, good question. Yeah, there's, there's I only ask
0: the good questions, Alex. Come on, man. You know this, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got a lot of stuff going on downtown. They just built a new ice skating rink um right outside the arena. Interesting. Which is also going to be a basketball court in the summer, but that won't matter because in February, it's an ice skating rink. So it's kind of like a seasonal thing where they'll change that in and out. And you can see it as you're walking into gamebridge Fieldhouse, which is really cool. I think it's called the bicentennial, bicentennial area. It's pretty cool. There's some other stuff to do there. Obviously, some great restaurants downtown. Everything's within walking distance. And that's the big thing. I know a lot of places in the Salt Lake City last year were a little bit challenging for that reason. Yeah, so, I mean, I remember pre-pandemic this was,
0: I was in All-Star Weekend in L.A., and everything is, like, going on, like, kind of in different places, so that's awesome that everything's in one place. That really makes a difference. And L.A. was great, obviously. No complaints about L.A., All-Star Weekend, obviously, but it is nice to have everything in one place.
1: Yeah, for sure. I know that the Slam Dunk Contest will be over at Lucas Oil Stadium, three-point contest, all that will be over at Lucas Oil, and I think the All-Star Game is at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, so... Um, They're going to be playing in the Colts uh, Stadium for All-Star Saturday night, which will allow for more seating. So that's cool. And all events will be in that area, like almost walking distance, you're saying? Yeah, and it's connected to the convention center, too, which is also connected to some of the hotels. So you don't even have to walk outside necessarily if you don't want to. So that's going to be super convenient for people to be able to experience that. But, you know, as we get closer to it, I'm sure they'll have more information out on what's going to be available. They could have extra stuff to try to attract people, but there's a lot, lots of places to eat downtown. Um, a lot of good steakhouses. I know everybody likes St. Elmo's. It's kind of a classic there. Uh, Fogo de Chow is another one that people really enjoy going to. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily super familiar with downtown. I I go down there for the pacer games and stuff like that, but I, I know my way around a little bit, but I'm not one of the most, uh, I would guess you could say experts with downtown lifestyle and living and what there is to do. So, Um, I will try to get more information on that for fans that are curious about that (laughs) as time gets closer since, you know, there's not a lot of people covering the team for Indiana. But with that being said, there's a lot to do. And if you just look it up, you can find things for sure. Oh, dope.
0: Okay. Worst defense, best offense. How does this happen? Where do we start?
1: Good question. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I think part of the problem is the Pacers right now, just lack a lot of two-way players on the roster. Mm. And that kind of goes into what is causing the good offense, bad defense because their best defensive lineup that they would want to throw out there, number one, it's not going to have much offense on it. Number two, there's not a lot of size on this team in terms of, you know, your your forwards outside of a guy like Obi Toppin and nobody really in that 6-9 range that can guard fours and Obi Toppin's not been a very strong defender this season. He's had his moments where he's been able to hold his own a little bit here and there, but not consistent. And then offensively, it's pretty much been Tyrese Halliburton and whoever wants to be the number two option that night. There's never been a consistent number two. Some thought it might be Benedict Matherin. Some thought maybe Miles Turner, but even some nights we're seeing Buddy, he'll be the number two option. Um, So so that's kind of the problem here, I think, with this Pacers team. They put a new defensive scheme in as well. Rick Carlisle uh, added Jim Boylan, who was just named... Team USA's coach of the year, I believe, to the to the assistant coaching staff. He co- he
0: coached the Bulls, right?
1: Yes, he did, and it was not it was not a disaster.
0: A- oh my! I remember, like on a podcast, who so I forgot, um, <laughs> who I was talking to, but they were so critical of this guy. Like he used to have like um things in the weight room that would like measure how long you were there. I don't know, like all kinds of crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, obviously his tenure there was not great. But he was a former assistant with the Pacers when okay. um, they had um, some pretty solid teams there. And then he came back. He's uh, been helping Rick Carlisle. He sits in the second row. He's not on the front row of the bench, but he sits in the second row. And he's kind of like the one that spearheaded this defensive scheme. And Rick Carlisle, in the last couple of days, has said, look, we're running the same defensive scheme as some of the best defenses in the league, like an Orlando Magic. However, they don't have the length or the size That player is on the magic cap. So when you're trying to run a defensive scheme and these guys can't really do it, you're going to have problems. So I understand they're trying to eliminate three-point shots. They're trying to make teams go to the paint and kind of funnel things there. But they're giving up the most points in the paint. So it's it's just problematic. I mean, obviously, offensively, it's been great. But defensively, it has been horrific. You know, I love uh, you know. I'm
0: all about the in-depth analysis, the intelligent analysis. But Alex, what you're telling me is the guy who was a disaster for the Bulls is now spearheading spearheading. This
1: Pacers defense that's worse than the league is. Does that just sound bad, or am I making some sense here? I mean, it probably sounds a little <laughs> bad, but if you're just going off narrative stuff, yeah, like I mean? th- that's usually not my thing. Well, maybe we mix it up for this episode. I don't know. Well, I, I will say this: Jim Boylan's <laughs> Bulls were good defensive teams. Okay, okay, fair. So enough. it's it's not like it's that. I mean, there's a difference between you know not every coach is great as a head coach, but they can be really good assistants, right? So that's we've seen that happen. You know what that's I mean? True. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit little bit different assignment there, right? Yeah, a little bit different.
0: Who I am very impressed with is Rick Carlisle because I love the way an older coach can embrace the modern style of basketball. How much of that has impressed you? Were you a little bit worried about that he'd be like stuck in the past since he is an older guy and we're seeing a lot of like younger coaches with so much success in the NBA?
1: Yeah, when he first came to take over for Nate Bjorkman after that whole debacle of, of one year of Nate Bjorkman from the Toronto Raptors, this Pacers team was pretty veteran heavy. They had TJ Warren still on the roster who couldn't get healthy. Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Karis Levert. You kind of thought, okay, this is who they are. Rick Carlisle is going to kind of raise that ceiling maybe a little bit, but this is probably going to be like who this team is, and they'll try to be competitive in the playoffs. And maybe with his ability to kind of be that, you know, a guy that's really good at adjusting in games, maybe he can kind of get them into the next round. And then things just kind of kind of blew up, and Rick's like, we got to change this up. It's not working. So he was kind of the one back to spearheading. He kind of spearheaded the rebuild for the Pacers here. But I tell the front office, okay, look, I've been around this locker room enough to know that they're not going anywhere, and it's not that they're bad players. It's just like this group together is not going to make the strides they need to, to make to get there. They were really struggling that year. So he comes in, and he was a big fan of Tyrese Halliburton back when he was with the Mavericks. So – He wanted the Mavericks to get up into the draft and and try to get him. They weren't able to do that at that time. There's a lot of stuff that was going on with that Mavericks draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think Corrala Bob ended up making the pick as as the GM walked out or whatever happened. There was some weird stuff that happened with Dallas that year. But anyway, Rick Carlisle had always targeted Halliburton. And so now you get a young point guard. And we know how Rick's relationship with point guards had been prior to this. Very controlling, likes to run the offense, but... With how gifted that Tyrese is, Rick has kind of taken a step back and said, okay, it's your show, you run it, I'll kind of just call things on the side when I need to. But most of the time, they just have complete trust in Tyrese to do what he does best, and they don't really kind of control the reins. So that, to me, has been refreshing, and I think it was a little bit of a surprise. And the fact of how they're wanting to play, like this Pacers team was slow, methodical, defensive-minded, and now they run, they play super fast, they dunk the ball a lot, Mm -hmm. shoot a lot of threes. Don't play any defense. It's like the complete opposite of what they once were. They're nine and seven. It's Aww. it's a little improvement, but it's more fun. Offense is more fun. It's more
0: fun. Yeah, yeah. more fun. So, Rick, w- what allowed me to realize like how much he understood what was going on in the modern game was when he was, you know, replying to a Porzingis question that maybe Porzingis should post up, and he was talking about the value of the post up, and obviously this team isn't post-up heavy or even ISO heavy in a lot of ways, right? But right. Uh, for me, from that to this, I want to ask you, do you feel him coaching Luca has allowed him to coach Tyrese more freely, just going through that experience with the Slovenian superstar?
1: No, and I think that's a great point. I think that he kind of learned from that. There was some obvious tension between those two, Luca and Rick, and Luca might have kind of been behind the whole entire reason Carlisle did leave and walk away Mm. from the Mavericks after being there for so long because he won him a title and they weren't ever going to let him go. I don't think. And he was a really big ambassador of Dallas, just a really good coach to always got the best out of his teams. And I don't really think his teams were that talented. They hung on to Dirk for a very long time when he was clearly out of his prime and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I just, I think that the way that kind of evolved and he learned a little bit. And I think that's one of the great things about Rick is he's not afraid to say like, yeah, I've made mistakes. I have to learn from them. And some guys may just won't admit it, but I think Rick is open enough and smart enough to know like, okay, maybe I need to look deeper into who I am, reflect on me a little bit more and change how I'm coaching this game as I evolve with these younger players that are coming into the league.
0: Yeah. I mean, Obviously, I've been high on Tyrese since Iowa State, but what has been the leap from last season to this season? Has it been, you know, I think he's not getting a lot of attention with how much he improved off the ball because of his Team USA experience. Obviously, he's going to be the guy with the basketball most of the time, but when he doesn't have it, I think there has been some improvement in that area.
1: Yeah, there has been. They've been trying to, you know, get him off ball a little bit here and there. Not a ton, but I think just what's really been key for Tyrese is understanding that balance of when to be a scorer and when to mm. be a facilitator. Tyrese is a pass for his point guard. He always has been. And so it's kind of been hard for him to hunt for his own shots, but he's leading the paces and field goal attempts, which is, which is huge. And it's by a significant margin, if I'm not mistaken. So it's one of those things where you're seeing him kind of have, like he did against the Hawks, a third quarter takeover where he drops 26 points on a quarter. He had 25 just two weeks before that against Charlotte, when they lose by one point. So, he has that capability to kind of just take over a game offensively. Like he's an offensive superstar in the league right now. Mm -hmm. So he has that ability, but what also makes him so dangerous is his passing ability because he can get so many open shots by just, you know, faking somebody out with a fake pass. Right. And and that, and that pass fake really just opens up more. And then when he becomes that score, now you're pressing up on him, double teaming him. Well, if you double team Tyrese Halliburton, It just makes it easier for the Pacers to kind of get other baskets elsewhere because you're playing five on four at this point or four on three, I should say. So that's that's the benefit of Tyrese Halliburton just being the quarterback of your team is he really knows how to dominate on 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 both the passing and the scoring side of things now.
0: Yeah. 50, 40, 90 and leading the league in assists. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy stuff.
1: People kind of forget how special he is when they're watching. Um, Maybe not, but like, Pacer fans are just like so blessed. They maybe don't realize just how special he is because this team hasn't really taken a massive leap in terms of their record-wise, still being just nine and seven.
0: Yeah, with him, you know, you mentioned that like he's a pass-first guy, and I think that's what people got wrong about him when they were looking at him in the draft. Like, passing wasn't the first thing they mentioned. They kind of like thought of like this all-around player who happened to be. A great passer on top of that and like oh his ISO scoring wasn't that great and then everybody equates ISO scoring to superstardom and then there's no ceiling and all that stuff like I don't think really people looked at him like oh this guy's a special playmaker and passer
1: yeah and probably not as much because Iowa State I think he got injured his last year too at Iowa State too and then you put him on the Kings with De'Aaron Fox and it kind of limits what he can do Yeah, right yeah. De'Aaron Fox better with the ball in his hands and when they try to like you know, separate them a little bit and, and kind of share the share the ball a little bit more together. You kind of saw how they both evolved when they got the, the control yes. of their own team. Right. So I think that's one of the things, too, you can look at there is just like, OK, these two guys need the ball in their hands. Right. But, you know, Tyrese a big knock on him, too, is can he be a shooter? Can he score the basketball? Because he's got a funky looking shot. And it takes him a minute to get the ball up, and it's kind of like, how does how does he create enough separation to get this shot off? And he's got range too, which has just expanded this season. I mean, he's pulling up from the like Dame range sometimes, and it doesn't seem to bother him. He's smoother off the dribble than catch and shoot. I noticed. Yes. Yeah it's it's a it's a almost he had
0: like I don't know if it was two different forwards, but I remember that in the draft it was like off the dribble you could get it off a little bit quicker.
1: Yeah, I think it's just because he has more control, and it's not like a set shot. Um, yeah. Just maybe a mental thing with him. But the set shots, like, yeah, he doesn't really take a lot of those. I don't feel like that it's is the true. Pacers team. So that is true.
0: Yeah. That's yeah.
1: probably the the wise thing to do just because <laughs> when you take the ball out of his hands, like, I do like it a little bit. Uh, if you give it to like a Ben Matherin or someone like that yeah. to let them kind of cook. You know, the best teams are malleable.
0: Even though you want yeah. him with the ball most of the time, you want to have options with him off the ball. Yeah. You know, you got
1: to learn how to trust other people too. If he doesn't have it going or somebody else has it going, how can it be impactful? But like, you know, there's there's been this concern when it's him and McConnell out there together because TJ McConnell is not a good shooter. And so you put McConnell in the corner with yeah. with the ball in his hands and it just kind of like crowds the floor a little bit on the offensive side of things. But then if you put the ball in McConnell's hands, then Tyrese is just sitting out there on the corner and not touching the basketball. It's like, and I really don't want the ball in McConnell's hands over Tyrese's. Um, especially with how McConnell doesn't have a shot outside of the little six foot fadeaway jumper that he shoots. So good, good basketball yeah. player though. Good basketball. Yeah, player. yeah, yeah. He's, he's fine. I just don't like them <laughs> <him> together. <laughs> I get it. I get it.
0: Okay, Tyrese, legit MVP level at this point.
1: I think it's tough to say that. Um, okay. I I want to ride the hype train. I know a lot of people are excited about it, but I think that this Pacers team has not been consistent enough, in my opinion. Okay. For him to be. Uh, considered a legit MVP I think he's all NBA for sure Mm, and we could we could even say he right now he could make the case for all NBA first team but I think MVP like until he does it consistently and it equates to winning I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on the MVP conversation but we're 16 games in it's the end of November I'm more than happy with people talking about it just to give him more recognition but um, I'm not, I'm not completely there yet. Are you there with him as an MVP candidate?
0: Yeah, as a candidate, I think you know. Obviously, it's like Luka, SGA, Jokic is in the mix. I mean, Bucks have been up and down, so I'm, Giannis is always there. But I don't think he's that far off from those guys, right? No. Am, I, am I? Who am I missing? I'm probably missing somebody. Embiid, Maxi, Embiid, Embiid, yeah. He, Embiid had a great game yesterday against AD. So yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of like Tyrese over uh, Maxi. I like right a little bit. Yeah, over Maxi. I just, I mean, I happen to like the way Halliburton plays better than Maxi, even though Maxi is great, because I just tend to favor those guys that make everybody around them better at a high mm-hmm. level, like that real LeBron, Jason Kidd, Magic Johnson effect. Not saying he's them, but that's the type of player I gravitate towards.
1: Yeah, I mean, and besides Jokic, I mean, a lot of these guys are, are really good two-way players that win MVP. And that's Tyrese true. is just not a good defender. Like, yeah, I mean, like, Embiid's a Better defender than Jokic, but Jokic is a better basketball player at the end of the day, right? Right. I mean, yeah. Jokic can impact. I think Jokic is a very smart defender. He is in terms of, and knowing so is where Tyrese, though, right? He, he is, but there's times where Tyrese, like, he'll ball watch a lot. And okay. I was just actually watching the Blazers game back before I got on here. I'm doing an article on it, and I was watching, and you know, they're hiding him as much as they can on defense. They're putting him on Tamani Kamara, hiding him in the corner, and there's times where he's just kind of like looking back at Kamara and then looking at the play. And then if he turns his head for a second, Kamara will get in there and get an offensive rebound because Halliburton's not playing right there. But if they put him in any kind of like, if they're hunting him, like the Chicago Bulls did a great job of this. They constantly found ways to get him involved in the pick and roll. And DeMar and Levine were just cooking him in the fourth quarter and he couldn't hide. So when you have to basically figure out a way to like hide your best player on offense, on the defensive side of things, it is a little bit problematic, but I think he can get better. He's, he's shown improvement. Like he didn't play super bad defensively against the blazers. I mean, when I was watching that stuff back, like what he was asked to do, he was doing for the most part, but it's just a little attention to detail things that I think he could get better at and make him a a smarter on ball defender, but off ball, he's done a pretty good job of knowing when to read the gaps. Pretty good in stealing. So yeah, you kind of like that about him and he, and he's got a smart mind. So he kind of knows what's going to happen for the most part. He just doesn't put up much resistance when he's trying to be somewhat physical out there defending somebody on ball.
0: Yeah. I remember the deflection rate was a real thing when they were like talking about his field coming out of Iowa state. Another guy who had a couple uh key deflections recently, Ben Matherin. Um, it's a little bit, a little bit up and down for him. I, I was high, another guy I was high on in the draft. What do you think are some improvement improvement areas for Matherin in terms of just becoming his best self
1: over time? Yeah. So I, I'm I'm considered a Matherin hater by some Pacer fans oh, right wow. now just wow. because I'm critical of some of the stuff he's done. Now, with that being said, there's a big caveat on that. I, I'm, I'm harder on Matherin because I think he has potential to be that number two option for the Pacers if everything clicks right, but right now it hasn't. He's been taken out of the starting lineup. He's not shooting the ball particularly well. Um, his handle has gotten a little better, and he's improved as a passer this season, which has been great. And defensively, like you saw it against Milwaukee, you can see it in the fourth quarter of the, the Pistons game. He's taken strides defensively. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I was just watching the game against Portland, and there's a couple of different times where he just ball watches, and these guys were able to cut back door on him and, and get offensive rebounds and just impact the game because he kind of just loses his man. He's a decent on-ball defender, but if you get him off-ball, he can get beat pretty bad. So Rick Carlisle has been very frustrated, I think, with his inconsistency as a defensive player, but he also has touched on how he's made strides too. There was a play that Rick Carlisle called timeout last night with about six minutes left and pulled Matherin out of the game. Halliburton got stuck on Jeremy Grant on a switch and Grant was down in the post and Halliburton, you know, is trying to do his best. They're yelling. The entire coaching staff is up yelling, double team, double team, double team. Matherin refused to leave who he was guarding to double team. Rick Carlisle calls the timeout after Grant makes the layup and he says, Double, real loud, like screams. You could hear it through the TV. Matherin doesn't even look at him, and he just goes to the bench, never sees the court again. So it's one of those things where it's like they're coaching him really hard. People think he's kind of become the scapegoat for Rick Carlisle and the defensive problems. But I, I just think that coaches coach players differently, and I think that the response that Matherin needs or the response, the way that Rick Carlisle kind of gets onto his case – is what's best for Matherin. And he responds to that, where some guys, they might soul can get upset and not be able to handle hard coaching like that. Matherin kind of thrives off that and it kind of motivates him. So I think that that's where people kind of get things twisted a little bit when you're just watching and it looks bad, like he's getting ripped. He's not been playing a lot. It's been inconsistent minutes. That's one of the things too, that's been tough for him. But I think that when he's played well defensively, Rick has given him 30 plus minutes in those games. And I think if he can continue to do that, that's what's going to keep him on the floor longer and help him evolve into a two-way player.
0: I had the opportunity to be in Vegas this past summer. Got to watch Jarrus Walker play. And you were talking about how the team needs some two-way players. And from what I was watching, he projects to be one of those
1: guys. Why do you feel like he hasn't got some more opportunity? Yeah, he's not in the rotation at all right now. And yeah. part of that is because his offense is uh, hit or miss. If you, Mm -hmm. Caitlin Cooper, which I'm sure you've heard of Caitlin Cooper. She does a great job. And she, she she came on our podcast and she was talking about, if you watch him shoot, he kind of fades to the right when he shoots, Mm -hmm. um, which that's problematic, but he also breaks out of the scheme a lot and kind of gambles on things, which ends up hurting the scheme and gets him in bad spots. So in the minutes he's played this year, it's mostly been garbage time. I think he did get into the game against Orlando earlier than usual, but they were down by like 40 points at one point. So it kind of was garbage time. They were just throwing anything. At the wall, hoping it would stick. But I think that there is potential there with Jairus Walker. I think he's a really good player. And I think you're right. Out of Houston, like some of the stuff he did, like really Mm -hmm. good feel for the game, good rebounder, good, great instincts, right? Good defensive Mm -hmm. player, good wingspan. And they could use somebody like that. And fans have been asking, can we please get him some minutes? Like our biggest problem is defending these these bigger forwards, and we're not even giving him a chance. So I'm kind of like, I'm kind of in this, I'm in this boat where I kind of understand where fans are coming from, but I also understand why the coaching staff hasn't fully committed to it yet. But I do think at some point in the next couple of weeks, if, if things continue to go down this path, they've got to knock on the door and just let Jarris Walker have that opportunity to fail, give him a chance to fail with significant minutes, or at least like a three to four minute stretch say, Hey, go out there and defend. So-and-so let's see what you do. And if it's awful, Hopefully he learns from it and he can kind of go back and watch some film. And so he did it wrong. But right now there's not a lot of tape on him to showcase, okay, we know what you are exactly. And so I think that there is an opportunity for him out there. It's just, it hasn't happened yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want to maximize this season, he's probably not the guy you're giving 30 minutes to, but for the long-term benefit of the team, you probably want to throw him out there and see what he could do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, that, that's where people get upset because, I think the Pacers front office, they didn't commit to anything this year mm. in terms of last year, they were saying, we're in a full rebuild. We're not going to, you know, don't expect a lot of wins. We're we're going to be developing a lot of young players, you know, get ready for a, a tough season, basically. And then they come out there and they were 23 and 18 by the halfway point and looking like a team that could make the playoffs before Halliburton got injured in New York last year in January of 2023. So that's where everything kind of went. And then they decided after Halliburton missed a month and they were really bad. Let's just kind of develop the rest of the year and get a better draft pick. This year they have said we don't want to rush too quickly and kind of stunt our developmental part of sides, uh part of the thing. But um, they also want to do a good job of trying to win and establish a winning culture here. So they're having a hard time, in my opinion. Not a hard time, but it's just it's a tough balance of Trying to develop young players, but also trying to win at a high level. And that's kind of where they're at right now. And that's why you're seeing, you know, Jarrus Walker not play much or Ben Mather getting benched here and there, or, you know, maybe even an Andrew Nemhard gets pulled a little bit because he has a couple of bad turnovers in a row and McConnell sitting right there uh, as that third string point guard that can play for him. So it's it's tough. But I, I understand what you're saying though. You gotta develop yeah. these guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost that the Tyrese Halliburton effect is speeding up the process, right? Like, sure. oh, oh, we got this guy. Maybe we should be in win now mode. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
1: and that's kind of what I think it is, and it's like they know they have this small window of an opportunity to, to maybe attract players and free agency to come here with their cap space before Tyrese's 206 to $260 million kicks in. You know, this is an opportunity where they can maybe make a trade or for somebody while they still have – that flexibility capitalized before it gets crazy, but that's long-term thinking too. I, I, don't, I don't know how aggressive they'll be, but Kevin Pritchard was adamant about being aggressive last year at the deadline and kind of hinted that he wanted to be aggressive this year during the offseason, but I don't really think anything presented itself that allowed them to be super aggressive to go out there and maybe acquire somebody that they were targeting.
0: One random fun question before we get out of here. If we started a seven-game series today, with the Magic and the Clippers, who would win and
1: why? The Magic and the Clippers, yeah. Good question. Um, <laughs> I know it's all you ask, right? Are the good questions the fact? <laughs> I'm a. Uh, I might. I might be in the moment here, but I might go Orlando. I just well, you
0: think you got to see them like like really watch them. So yeah, the pace. I mean,
1: it's tough. I mean, the Clippers have a lot of great players, but. Am I going to be able to say that at the end of the seven game series that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are both healthy? <laughs> you know, let's say let, let,
0: seems- let's say the health that they're in now. Not obviously not Kawhi being Toronto Raptors Kawhi the Kawhi that he is now. Although all the guys are healthy. The team that they have. Who do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is tough. It's going to be close. I think. I think. Be, yeah, I I, would I think probably, I might go
0: seven games.
1: Yeah, I would. I would probably give the nod to the Clippers in seven just because of the experience. But I do think that Orlando's defense would make it very challenging. They've got the length, and they've got um, – I just think Jalen Sucks has taken a step forward. I think Paulo and Franz have been really good. And, I, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. being out does make me a little nervous because Gogo Batase has to play significant minutes at the center position. And I just wonder if, if Paul and James and Kawhi would kind of have their way in that pick and roll. It'd be it'd
0: be it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. I think the Clippers probably would win, and then they couldn't win another series after that because they're older yeah. and it would take they're so not much energy. Did going
1: to play till the finals?
0: <laughs> oh man, it's always it's always something else with them. It's always something. I once had a coach overseas that used to tell players, "It's always something with you," and that's what it feels like with the Clippers. Man, Alex, great stuff. You're always welcome yeah. back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, everywhere else.
1: Yeah, find me at Alex Golden on Twitter. X or whatever you want to call it. And on Instagram at Alex golden NBA, I don't really post a ton there, but um, the podcast is on Twitter and Instagram at Pacers pod STP, which stands for setting the pace. Um, All of our work is there. If you just type in setting the pace or Pacers on any of your uh, podcast apps, it it should show up there. We are one of the top ones up there. So uh, always appreciate the opportunity to come on this show and be in combos court. You know, I'm not, I'm not a great, um, combo guy but you know i'm uh i'm I'm good at setting screens so if you're if you're a bucket maker i can i can get you open okay yeah yeah do you roll do you roll are you a lob threat i have no vertical i'm more (laughs) of a i'm more of a pick and pop kind of kind of player like okay who who is a who is a miles turner Eh, i don't have the same athleticism as turner and you can't protect the rim probably like him right no, nah, I mean I used to have decent timing. If that makes sense for being. At least 12. we got Miles
0: Turner in this pod somehow. We we got to yes, we him. did. Yeah. <laughs> Miles Turner,
1: year nine with the Pacers, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know if his timeline fits, but that's another topic for another day. Twenty
1: seven, right? I think it's all right.
0: It's okay, okay.
1: Yeah, he's okay. he's he's young enough that it makes sense. They they got him for another year after this year, so it's not a long term deal. We'll see okay. how that plays out if he wants to be here for another four years after that. But look,
0: look at look at the segue, Alex's game to Miles's game we got it in
1: <laughs> we got it in look at that ladies and gentlemen now I, I i just wish i could i just wish i could be somewhat reliable as a um as a rim protector like miles but yeah you know sh- shooting wise you know miles better shooter than me but don't leave me open too long because okay if you give me time i might knock it down
0: <laughs> okay keep knocking it down alex you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon all right man thank you anytime there it was, episode 531 is in the books. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big thanks to Alex for joining in. We appreciate you. This episode was brought to you by PrizePix. Picks. PrizePix Picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. Go to PrizePix and punch in code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Hit the combos, court Venmo, support combo nation i'll shout you out on the next pod and be on the lookout for episode 532 combo out